Welcome to Bible Study Today. We have a panel of four, including me, and my name is Len, standing in for Nick, who's away at the moment. And I'm going to let the rest of the panel introduce themselves. Good morning, listeners. It's Brenton Wilkinson. Always happy to be with you and sharing the good news of the Bible with you. Good morning, all. It's Ken here. Really happy to be back among the panel. And I'm Helen, and I'm glad to be here with everybody as well. Helen, you are our facilitator today. You're going to lead us through this interesting study. So it's over to you. Thank you, Len. I appreciate that. And it is a privilege and a delight to be here to open God's Word and to share with everyone. The first question I want to ask, though, is, panel, and in fact, I see Ken, you're sitting there. What is our study about this week? Well, our study this week is about families, how they interact with each other, how they interact with people, and about faith in the home. Fantastic. Thank you. This week, yes, we're going to look at some of the issues that can make for a wonderful home life during the family seasons that we have, where we see the inevitable tensions and struggles that homes face today. The title of our study sums up what we are actually going to talk about, and the title is... Well, Brenton, have you got it there? What have they seen in your house? Ah, okay, I think that's going to sum it up quite well. Thank you. Before we commence, though, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, it is a delight to come before you today and and to be here and meet. And we count it a privilege, Father, that you've called us to this ministry. I pray, Lord, that as we share the study today, that people's hearts will be opened and it will answer some questions and and give them encouragement to have a faith-filled home. I pray, Father, that what we say and do will only bring glory and praise to you and you alone. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we have a... um, a very good text to start with. And Ken, I see you've got your Bible open. Would you share with us, please? Sure. I'm reading from uh, King James Version, and we're looking at First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So it's actually giving us a reason as to, number one, that God has chosen us, but the reason that he's called us is, what was that last part? He wants us to show forth his praises. Absolutely. How often do we forget to do that, though? So we're going to learn about that today as well. Panel, if someone came unexpectedly to your house, what would you like them to see? Then you're jumping in here. Good. All right. Well, I was just going to make a comment about that word peculiar, peculiar people. These days, the common understanding of the word peculiar is weird or crazy or something like that. But that's not the intention of that particular expression in the Bible. Peculiar also means particular or special. And God has people... Christians who are to reveal to the world the nature of God just as God chose the Israelites in olden times to represent him to the rest of the world. That's what I was hoping to say. Well, thank you, Len. I'm glad that you said it. Now, maybe you might give us an answer to the one, if someone came unexpectedly into your house, what would you like them to see? I would like them to see and understand that we are Christians, that we love the Lord and that our lives are ordered and careful 
and praising God in all that we do. For example, um, even if we never said a word to them, they should be able to see that we love the Lord. I um, sit in the corner of our sitting room and in front of where I sit is a coffee table. And if they look carefully, they could see that there are a number of Bibles and other uh, books that I use often. And um, if they talk to us, they will notice that we don't use swear words. And so they would very quickly get the impression, and I'm not boasting here, this is just how it is, uh, that we are Christian people, that we honour God in how we live, and that shows in our home. Thank you, Len. Brenton, would you like to share with us on that question, please? A friend of mine who's a minister came to our home a number of years ago to stay, and he said to me at the end of it, he said, I have stayed in many houses and he said, uh, I use the term houses. He said, they're fashion places. They have the latest furniture, the latest this and that. He said, when I came to your place, he said, I felt that I was at home. He said, because I can tell that you and your wife are passionate about helping people to know Jesus. And that's where your focus is, not on having a showpiece home. Fantastic. Thank you. Ken, do you have anything you'd like to add on that one? I have, and I could talk in this for some time, but I'll keep it really short. Um, I love people coming to our home because I love to chat with people. Not always about the Lord, but we do discuss many, many things. But what I like to think is when they come to our home, uh, there's an atmosphere of peace and tranquility about it. And also, uh, I think they would gauge from us that, that we like people and we like to chat to them. And we have a number of people, again, like Len, I'm not boasting, this is just a fact of life. But anyone that comes to our home uh, front door selling anything or asking for anything, we always ask them if they'd like a drink. In the summer, a cool drink, and in the winter, a cold drink. And we always uh, always do that, because always remember that uh, words of Jesus, if you do it to the least of my people, you do it to me. Very good, thank you very much, panel. Brenton. You have a poem you'd like to share with us? Certainly. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. When you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you need to change some things before you let him in, like maybe burn some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Oh, I know that you'd give your nicest room to such an honoured guest, and all the food that you would serve him would be the very best. And you'd keep assuring him that you were glad to have him there, that serving him in your home was joy beyond compare. But would your family conversation keep up its normal pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or would you hope that they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you take him with you everywhere you'd planned to go? Or maybe change your plans for just a day or two? Would you be glad to have him stay forever, on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when he finally had gone? 
you know it might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus came in person to spend some time with you well that was thought provoking wasn't it Len you'd like to say something it's certainly a challenge what I'd like to say here is that every person seems to have an aura about them you can basically get a fairly good idea what a person is like simply by looking at them you don't even have to hear them speak and I think our homes are something that has non-verbal communication it sort of speaks of the people who live within that home Um, is it junky has it got stuff all over the place the sink full of unwashed dishes etc etc you can get some sort of an assessment I know there are exceptions but you can get some sort of an assessment of what people are like by simply observing where they live that is so true thank you thank you when I was in New Guinea it was very obvious when we went into the villages the difference between a Christian village and a non-Christian one it was Mm. really quite Mm -hmm. obvious but you know it could be a good exercise for us to you know come up to our house as though we're a visitor walk into the house and look at it from a visitor's point of view and do an assessment as to and just look at your reaction you know, to what sort of witness is communicated by your home and the things in it. You know, your books, your artwork, DVDs, whatever, and so on. We have some great examples from the Bible on this very topic, so we're going to dive right in and see what we can learn. Hopefully we will have time to briefly discuss Hezekiah, Ruth, Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca and her family, and Zacchaeus. But we're going to start with Hezekiah, who was a king. Brenton, would you like to tell us a bit about him? Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. Uh, there were 20 kings of Judah, only four of them are listed as good kings solely, and he was one of them. He, he reigned for about 29 years in total. However, what we're going to share with you is just a comment that was made about him. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. What a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, yeah, This was said about him, that there was none like him amongst the kings of Judah, before him or after him. The Bible was really describing that Hezekiah had a very close relationship with God. But I believe he was also a reformer. And I think you've got a text there too, haven't you, Brent? We have. It says he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Now this is really interesting because you find this story in the book of Numbers in chapter 20. Uh, To think that these people had hung on to this bronze serpent but they were actually worshipping it and uh, burning incense to it tells me that there was probably nothing that they weren't worshipping before Nebuchadnezzar came, or not Nebuchadnezzar, before Hezekiah came on the scene and um, brought them back to the worship of the true God. Mm. Mm. It's interesting it's, it's that word, Nehushtan, Nehushtan, actually means a copper serpent. Yes. 
And yeah. so they were, you know, they'd gone from, you know, worshipping God who healed them to worshipping the idol yes. that yeah. was representing. But sadly, Hezekiah, he took few actions to preserve the effects of his sweeping reforms. And, and we were going to read about that now. Ben? Well, Second Chronicles records information about Hezekiah too. And it says in chapter 32, in verse 33, Hezekiah rested with his fathers and was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honoured him when he died, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, if I recall correctly, Manasseh wasn't a very good king at all. He was the worst king they ever had. (laughs) <laughs> and probably one of the reasons was that although Hezekiah was a reformer, there were things left in the kingdom which influenced Manasseh, his son. The thing I like here, though, is it said all the people of Jerusalem and of Judah honoured him when he died. Now, sometimes when we have a good or a bad politician there are different reactions when that one dies. If the politician or a king, and we don't have a king here in this country, if he's a bad king or a bad politician, people will say, good riddance, I'm glad he's gone, I'm glad we've got somebody else. However, if a good king or a good politician dies, they're remembered fondly, and the fact that they worked for the people, they were honest and upright, I uh, was thinking about Moses. If Moses entered the political arena these days, I think everybody would vote for him because he's honest and upright, um, not doing these sneaky things that some politicians try to get away with and some of them get caught. Mm, thank you, Len. I think it's interesting in that 2 Chronicles thirty-two twenty-three, where it, it says they brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem but they also brought presents to Hezekiah and he was magnified in the sight of all the nations I think this was the start of Hezekiah's downfall Possibly. actually you know he was he was being lifted up mm. and rather than sort of thinking about God I believe mm. that you know that was it the went start. to his head a bit yes yes mm. and it was a pity that he didn't sort of stop at that point mm. Ken what does 2 Kings 20 can you summarize for us please 2 Kings 21 to 11 tell us what happened to Hezekiah well sometime later Hezekiah got ill and this illness developed and got really bad and it got to the stage where the prophet came in and spoke to him and told him that the Lord had decided that it was his turn to die. He was going to leave the earth. Hezekiah, of course, was very, very distraught about this and very worried and turned and prayed really sincerely to the Lord. And, and uh, to cut a long, long story a little bit shorter, the Lord heard his prayers and uh, knew that in his heart he was sincere. He just... Uh, it just, shall we say, uh, diversed for a little while and forgotten the Lord. And the Lord healed him and gave him extra life on the earth. Thank you. So that was a miraculous healing, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Praise yes. to him. Ex- extend to life many years is mm. something mankind can't do to yeah. well, I think. Yeah. Here's an interesting thought, though. If, um, if he had it, just accepted what Isaiah had said and said, my time's up, it's time to go. 
he would have, um, as we put it, he would have uh, passed away peacefully yes. uh, with a legacy intact. Yes. And as Len was saying earlier on about Manasseh, one wonders whether Manasseh would have been the type of person he was. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I know it's speculation, but you can't help wondering. Sometimes when the Lord says, maybe uh, this, is, this is what's going to happen, maybe it's best to say, Lord, you know what's best, and leave it at mm. that. What he does is he reminds the Lord, he says, you want to remember I've been faithful to you all my life, which was the truth. He mm. was telling the truth. Mm. But <laughs> it might have been better to have just said, I accept that the Lord says that my time's up and I need to put my house in order. Instead yes. of that, the second part of his reign is... We're going to have a look at it. Yeah, we're going to have a look at it, aren't we? Yeah, <coughs> the interesting thing about his prayer, which I noticed, was he didn't say, they will be done. That was left out, wasn't it? Mm. Not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Interesting point. Can you have your hand up? Yeah, I, I find this a really, really interesting story because I think it shows you the grace and the mercy and the love of God who even though he has pronounced a judgment, he can change his mind and does change his mind, and I find that really amazing. Yeah. Of course, if we were to put ourselves in Hezekiah's shoes, here's a, a king of a nation exceedingly wealth, wealthy uh, and has peace everywhere, it would be very hard to leave that. So I can see where he's uh, mm. coming from. Interesting mm. point. Len, can you fill us in now with some more of his story? Well, I'm going to fill you in by reading some verses from the book of Isaiah, chapter 39. Thank you. The first four. It says, at that time, this is the time after Hezekiah had been healed of his illness, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures I did not show them. Now, when a, when a significant person perhaps a king, a prime minister, a president, dies and there's a funeral, you get people from all over the world who come to that funeral. To show their respect. To yeah. show their respect. Mm. Thank you, Brenton. In this case, Hezekiah hadn't died. Hezekiah had been miraculously healed. And so here was a letter from the king of Babylon to congratulate him and then he sent envoys probably to convey some more messages and give gifts. What did these people see in Hezekiah's house? Well, he boasted. He showed them everything. He showed them how rich he was. He showed them his armies and everything, which wasn't a very wise thing to do. 
because later on all those riches were plundered and taken to Babylon when Jerusalem was overthrown. Yeah. He was, although he was, he, foolish, was well, he? he was a bit, bit stupid, I think, yeah. to do that. He should have been a bit more of a diplomat, but he was probably so relieved that here I am still alive that he sort of did this boastful display which was a mistake. So you hear that pride coming through, don't you? It's my house. I showed them what was in my house. I showed them my treasures, which which I think is really interesting. Ken, you wanted to say something? Yes, it's very interesting when you read this and he shows uh, these envoys all the wonderful things that he has, but nowhere do we read that it says, God has blessed me in this way, that's and right, I think that's yeah. his downfall. Yeah, yeah. I think right. mankind, uh, we often forget God, even for some of the little mercies that we receive and blessings. I think that's a good point. Mm. So it, the message isn't, isn't that a terrible um, reflection? Because when you go to the book of Daniel, you find heathen kings such as Nebuchadnezzar and Darius blessing the God of heaven yes. uh, because of what he's done on behalf of Daniel and his friends. Mm. And here this man had a golden opportunity to introduce these representatives to the true God. Yes. I think they wanted to know how he was healed. Yes. I think they also wanted to know why the sundial went back 11 degrees, which is impossible mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, even... Uh, Hezekiah himself said oh it's no great deal to put it forward 10 degrees or whatever it was 10 degrees yeah. put it back 10 degrees um, you remember these Babylonians they were some of the very earliest people who were into astronomy in a big way uh, right. this, this would have really caught their attention yeah. so they were there not only to congratulate him on the recovery from his illness they were there to find out about what caused this there's not a mention no. in Isaiah in Chronicles mm. or in Kings of him even mentioning what God had done for mm. him. I think not, not a what you're saying all. is very true because I believe the messengers came to hear about his healing. And I think so. You know how easy it is to take God's blessing for granted and Hezekiah seems to have been silent about that whole healing experience. And instead of singing God's praises, you can imagine Hezekiah spending all day strutting like a peacock, mm -hmm. showing off, Pretty that's much. the only way I could yeah. think of it, <laughs> strutting like a peacock, showing off his wealth, and then he sent them away. You know, what had they seen in their house? They, they saw the glitter, the gold, but not a glimpse of God. That was so true. Ken, you wanted to say something? Yes, uh, it just reminds me of the scriptures in the New Testament where when God is talking to the people, he says it's better to live life with a little and enjoy it than to have many riches and have problems. Yes, they're true. Very wise advice. You know, I thought about this and I thought, where's the lesson in here for us? And what I came up with was, past obedience to God does not remove the possibility of present, dis present disobedience. You know, That's sometimes people see um, somebody doing something wrong, they said, oh, well, they obviously were never a Christian. Not always so, because Hezekiah had a close relationship with God, but he allowed pride to get in. So we need to learn the lesson not to let pride to get in our way. Give God the praise. You know, every visit to the homes of Christians is an opportunity for people to meet followers of Christ. Len, you wanted to say something. Well, what we were talking about near the beginning of the program about what would people... Um, ascertain by simply coming to our homes um, I think Hezekiah missed a beautiful opportunity oh, he did, didn't he? Um, 
he was, as you said, strutting like a peacock, showing off all the stuff that he's got. And I don't read a word here about him revealing God to these pagan foreigners, mm. which is a shame. And mm. it's also a challenge. It's a challenge for us to share the love of God and our respect for God with unbelievers. Yes. Hmm. Let it's, me... Uh, it's oh, an sorry. interesting comment because <laughs> I guess I'm playing the devil's advocate here a little bit and looking at it from Hezekiah's point of view. What we don't know and know what's not recorded in Scripture is simply this, that he may have said, look at all the things I've got. God has been really generous to me. I'm fairly because sure that would be, have been recorded for because us. Because mm. you would think so. Yes. Because today we live, and many of you know this, we live in a society where many Christians believe in a health and wealth gospel. Mm -hmm. If you're wealthy and you're happy and you're, you're rich and you're um, health, again, got good health, mm. the Lord is blessing. Conversely, if you've got all these mm. things going wrong with you, the Lord is not blessing. And I think there's a lesson here. <laughs> a very clear lesson that the first and foremost thing he should have said is, guys, the reason why I'm even alive is because the Lord has healed me miraculously. Mm. Mm. Amen. Very quickly, I'd just like <clears throat> to share with you something that happened to me. And while I'm doing that, could someone on the panel please look up 1 Chronicles 16.8 for me? I don't mind who does, but I'd like you to read it in just a minute. My experience was that I got very, very sick a couple of years ago. My lung collapsed after I'd gone in for bronchioscopy. When I came out, they, under different specialists and doctors, they finally got to the conclusion they couldn't put a stint underneath to hold it up or anything. Cartage wouldn't hold it. And they virtually came to me in the end and said, this is as good as it's going to get. It's never going to get fixed. You know, your lung will you, you just minus a lung. And I was bedridden, and I couldn't even walk out to the front gate. And it was really a tough time at that time. But I knew that I love Job, Job 23.10, which says, He knows the way I take, and when he's tried me, I'll come forth as gold. And the interesting thing was that I had a lot of prayer going around, and I'm here today to testify that God answers prayer. Yes. Mm. And that's exactly what happened to me. A miracle happened. I was rushed to hospital at one stage. They thought I was having a heart attack. They came back and said, no, it is your, um, you've got a hernia. It's pushing up into your good lung. Well, that was panic station. I only had one good lung. And so they took x-rays. They saw it there. They saw what was happening. And they, they wanted to do more extensive tests. And they did. And the doctor came back the next morning and he said, I can't um, find your hernia. I said, you saw it last night on the X. He said, I did. He said, I'm going to do more tests. And so he, you know, I had scans and everything else that was going. And he finally came back. He said, Helen. I said, what's wrong? And he said, I can't find the hiatus hernia and both your lungs are working perfectly. And I said to him, Praise the Lord. Do you, can you tell me scientifically how this is possible? Because I've had, you know, several specialists. And now you're telling me this had happened. Give me the reason. What's happened? He said, I can't. I said, do you believe in miracles? He said, no. I said, well, I think you're looking at one. Yeah, I right, said, right. I believe God has healed me. He <laughs> said, oh, I'm going to do this next test. Yeah. He said, I'll find it. And of course he didn't. And he finally came back. All the records at Royal Adelaide, he came back. He signed a form to say both lungs are working perfectly. God was amazing. The next day, I also had chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. The next day, I got up and said, Lord, I'm going for a walk. 
and I hadn't been able to go for long walks. Two and a half kilometers that morning I walked, praising God all the way. I have not used any painkillers or analgesics for the fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue since then. That was a miracle. Mm. The interesting part came, though, because I had been sick for so long, it was a bit hard to adjust. I'd taken 12 months off everything, and I had a minister... A dear friend of mine who spoke to me and said, I do not believe God has has healed you for you to, to have this sabbatical for the whole 12 months. And I was looking forward to having this time. And I said, oh, and he quoted 1 Chronicles 16.8. If somebody got that, can read it to me? Please. Yes, I have. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Yes, and I, I rang him. Uh, when I went home and I looked into it and I said you are so right I said I my version said give thanks unto the Lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the people and I shout it from the rooftops now because it was nothing to do with me and I'm just so grateful that his healing hand was on me so then I have to come back and say what have what do people see in my house am I praising God or am I speaking about what I have accumulated but next we're going to have a look at a disciple who was a great example and uh, the disciple was Andrew and he shared good news but he shared it with his family first and I think there's a lesson here for us as well Brenton John chapter 1 and verse 40 says this one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew Simon Peter's brother I'm going to read a little further Helen with your uh, Mm -hmm. indulgence he first found his own brother Simon of course we know him as Peter and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Isn't it interesting, when you read the book of John and you read about Andrew, he hardly ever gets mentioned. He gets mentioned mm-hmm. in the Twelve Disciples. Um, he gets mentioned, I think, from memory, I think it was Andrew who came to Jesus when they fed the 5,000 and said, We've only got five loaves mm-hmm. and two fish. Apart from that, you could almost say Andrew exits stage left from here on, Mm. and brother Simon, also known as Peter, uh, fills centre stage. Mm. But in actual fact, if you're talking about discipleship and um, and sharing with your relatives, this is this is the prime example in Scripture of how he brought his brother to Jesus and said come and hear this guy for yourself but look how it flowed down we had John the Baptist who testified about Jesus to Andrew Mm -hmm. Andrew first went to his brother Simon to tell him about Jesus Mm -hmm. and they built a relationship themselves I I think you're right it's a good model for us yes I'll just add a little bit to that about Andrew Andrew went beyond mere reporting he arranged for his brother Simon to meet Jesus an enthusiastic report about Jesus and an introduction to him as a person. What a simple formula for sharing the gospel with relatives in our homes. After the introduction, Andrew stepped back. From then on, Jesus and Peter had a relationship of their own. Mm, thank you, story. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. True. I think there's a good lesson here for us. I wonder how many people in our family, in our life, have heard us talk about our relationship with Jesus, not hitting people over the head, but just testifying to him. Because eternal truths are more most effectively learned in a loving environment of a God-fearing home. But let's go to another home. We're going to look at a lady called Naomi. I believe she was an evangelist. And we're going to see what we can learn from her and her daughter-in-law. Okay. 
<coughs> Naomi and Elimelech had two sons, Malon and Chilion. They lived in the land of Israel. There was a significant drought. And so, to survive, they moved to a neighbouring country, Moab. However, Elimelech died, and so there were just Naomi and her two sons. Well, they stayed in Moab for quite a long time and married girls. There was Ruth and... Orpah. Orpah. Mm -hmm. Just slipped out of my mind for the moment. (laughs) Orpah. Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi decided that when the drought was over, she would go back to her home country and live where they lived in the past. And with these two Moabite daughters-in-law... Oh, by the way, I should say that the sons also died while they are in Moab, which is a pretty awkward situation. So she was a widow... Um, she had all her means of support were gone. Her husband was dead, her two sons had died, and these two daughters-in-law were there. So she decided to go back where she might get some support because she had relatives there. Um, she said to them, said to her daughters-in-law, uh, you, you go back to your own people, you go back to your own people don't come, it's a foreign country and blah 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 Orpah accepted what she said but Ruth wouldn't she said and I'm reading from Ruth chapter 1 verse 16 Mm -hmm. Ruth replied don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go I will go and where you stay I will stay your people will be my people and your God my God what a wonderful now this I believe has a real challenge for Christians. Are Christians attractive to non-Christians? And I believe that we as Christians should be it. We should attract non-Christians simply by the way we live and the way we present. So true, Lynn, so true. Lynn, it comes I... back to that aura that I think that you were talking about. I believe that a, a person who is truly loves the Lord does have an aura about them. Mm. Um, some of you know a statement that says the strongest argument in favour of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Mm. Yeah, that's so true too, isn't it? I, I looked at the story of Ruth and I thought, well, there was a good relationship with a mother-in-law, with a daughter-in-law, which is quite uh, interesting for a start. But Naomi wanted the best for Ruth and for Orpah. She shared deep sorrow with them because they had lost their husbands as well. She had great affection for each other and an overriding commitment to the God of Israel. And I thought, this is really interesting because Ruth came to know the God of Israel through Naomi. The older woman allowed Ruth to see, hear and feel all the joy and all the anguish of her relationship to God. And so I think the point here was a perfect God was introduced by an imperfect person. There's a a good point there. I I think that Ruth um, saw Naomi. I mean, remember when she gets back to to Israel, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which means bitter. Mm. Um, She was bitter, and yet you want to remember Ruth was a pagan. She didn't worship the true God. They worshipped a God called Chemosh that even had uh, human sacrifice, so it was a pretty terrible sort of religion. But even though this woman has lost her husband, both her sons, 
even though she's bitter against the lot that she seems to have in life, she's almost like Job. She hasn't actually cursed God. She's somehow hung in there. And I'm, I'm asking myself the question, I would think that this would have had a very, very strong impression upon Ruth. Oh, absolutely. And she would have said to herself, whatever she's got, I want. Whereas Orpah was persuaded to go back to her family and uh, her um, religion, and it does use the word religion. But in Ruth's case, she said, no, your God will be my God. Your people, my people. Isn't it interesting that God accepts even whether, you know, they're worshipping in a pagan way, he can call Mm. them out. I think you've got a text on that, Brenton. Am I right? I think there's one in Acts 10.35. Yes, uh, I have got one in Acts 10.35. It deals with a guy called Cornelius. But it's Peter speaking. He says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. With Peter, it must have been like all the lights came on here all of a sudden because Mm. here he is being introduced to a Gentile. Mm. Not only did he go and visit the man, he ate with, obviously ate with him and probably slept there at mm. one stage as well and got himself in major trouble with the church back mm. in Jerusalem over all of this issue. But I think God is revealing to Peter that I accept anybody. Yes, and, and he was accepting Ruth, yes. a Moabitess. Yeah. He accepted Ruth. And from her lineage came found who? in the lineage of yes. Christ. <laughs> we were thinking came the same the thing there. Yes, yeah, no. so a changed life speaks loudly and clearly it's often the most effective way to influence a family member isn't it okay i have a paragraph here that i do want to read to you that i came across and and i thought it was really an interesting paragraph to share so bear with me and it says here our time here is short we can pass but this world but once and as we pass along let us make the most of life the work to which we are called does not require wealth or social position or great ability it requires a kindly self-sacrificing spirit and a steadfast purpose a lamp however small if kept steadily burning may be the means of lighting many other lamps Our sphere of influence may seem narrow, our abilities small, our opportunities few, our requirements limited, yet wonderful possibilities are ours through a faithful use of the opportunities of our own homes. If we will open our hearts and homes to the divine principles of life, we shall become channels for currents of life-giving power. From our homes will flow streams of healing, bringing life and beauty and fruitfulness, where now was barrenness and dearth. That's an interesting statement. I, I just feel that's that's an encouragement as well. You know, and, and in thinking about that, our homes, I know that God's ideal for husbands and wives is for them to stay together. But can somebody tell me, Yaron, what happens if one becomes a believer and the other does not? Okay, well, I'd like to share about this. <clears throat> there are relevant texts in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and in particular verses 12 to 15. I won't read them because time is escaping rather rapidly. It does Except, every week, Len. <laughs> it does, I realise that. <laughs> Waits but for no man, Len. <laughs> what, what this is saying is that a believing wife and or husband can be a very positive influence on an unbelieving partner. And I know of a story where this Christian lady had a a horrible husband. He was a drunkard. When he came home, it could be at any hour of the night, he always expected a meal. One time he came home 
with a whole bunch of his drunken friends and expected, expected a meal. <laughs> a, a meal. Now, <clears throat> probably <laughs> most people, most wives would have said, go jump, forget it. But she prepared a meal for all these drunks. When he sobered up the next day, he realised what a wonderful person she was and that was the influence that led him to being converted and saved too. I'd like to say this, that sort of person is more of an influence toward an unbeliever being converted and eventually saved mm. than all the doctrine in the world. All the Bible studies in the yes. world. Mm. Um, a positive influence in the marriage has saved many unbelievers in the past. Does that mean that an unbeliever receives salvation automatically through the Christian spouse? Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Well, I think we no. just have to make sure that we've got that right. No. But it does mean a blessing in the relationship, doesn't it? Yes, of course. Loving kindness, unwavering fidelity, humble service, and winsome witness on the part of the believer create the greatest likelihood of winning the non-Christian spouse. Submission in a Christian marriage arises out of reverence for Christ. When a spouse relates with Christian submission to an unbelieving partner, the first allegiance is always to Christ. Faithfulness to the claims of God on one's life does not require a spouse to suffer abuse at the hands of a violent partner. I agree. And this actually opens up another issue which we haven't got time to deal mm -hmm. with today, but simply because one of the two is kind and loving and beautiful, uh, doesn't give the right to the other one to mistreat or abuse their, that relationship. Yeah, to abuse mm. the relationship because that person is submissive and doesn't fight back. Yeah, that's a good comment. Okay. Um, Helen, I just wanted to backtrack slightly just what you said a moment ago. One of the things that jumped out at me was the fact that this life goes really quickly. And I think that's something that our, our listeners should really think about. Sometimes people believe, oh, look, in 20 years' time I'm going to do this, or in five years I'm going to do this. All of us have only got today, and every yes. other day is by the grace of God. That yes. is so, so true. That is so true. Mm -hmm. Brendan, you had something you wanted to say. I think that um, what Lena's touched on is actually very, very meaningful. Often... Your actions actually speak a lot louder than your words do, even in a Christian home. And it, it's interesting that even in a Christian environment where the other party, shall we say, is sometimes violently opposed um, to Christianity, it can be a blessing. But I want to share this comment with you. A Christian family that has so completely broken with the current model of two stressed out, overworked parents, where their neglected, under-disciplined, over-stimulated children will stand out like a beat, neon beat or neon sign in the night. Parents in harmony with each other, children who cheerfully obey, a light spirit of happiness and contentment will make possible 
by God's principles and presence has an influence in today's world that is difficult to match. That's and so that true. is so true because as a minister I have been to homes that are totally dysfunctional and it's, it's almost like a piece of heaven to go to a home where there is peace, yes. where everyone seems to be happy, where children obey cheerfully, yeah. uh, where the parents explain consequences of actions to them and that sort of thing, rather than the process that I often find when I go to people's homes where the main method of communication, and I'm sure, Helen, you would have found it, Ken probably has, so has Len. The main method of communication in some homes is yelling at one another. Yes, mm. yeah, that's true. People tend to become like <coughs> who they watch, mm. and the children particularly. You know, we need to be very careful what we say and what we do. Ken, I think you've got a poem. If a child lives with racism, he learns to be racist. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. Yeah, very good. Th very worth thinking about, really, because we, on beholding, we become changed, don't we? Ling, did you want to share? Well, it's Poetry Day. I'm going to read you. I love poetry. Uh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> this poem's entitled Your Example. It's talking about parents and children and grown-ups and children. It says, There are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do everything you do. And a little child who's dreaming of the day they'll be like you. There's a wide-eyed little person who believes you're always right and their ears are always open and they watch you day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little child who's waiting to grow up to be like you. I like that. Very yes, good. we need to I'm stop and think. I do like don't that. We? we need to stop and think. What are, not only our children, but of course in our home, that's the most important place. But, but what example do we give to others that come into our home? Now, Paul was a great apostle, and he made an Helen, interesting just, just, just a quick one on that before we go on. I know we're running yes. out of time. Sometimes when I preach a sermon, uh, you'll find the young people and even the children in your congregation, you're wondering whether they're actually listening. Sometimes they're playing with their um, mobile phone or gazing around the room or whatever, and you think um, nothing's sinking in. But oh, maybe does. in a week or so's time, they'll say, Pastor, you said in the sermon last week, such and such, and you think, oh, they were listening. That just backs up what Len was reading about. That, that yeah. is so true. You know, I remember my friend's the young son, when he was little, he would sit and draw trucks. He was just right into trucks. He was only a little, little guy. And, you know, you would think he wasn't listening at all. He's a lot older now, of course, and he's in a truck. But, you know... Um, 
he he could tell you exactly what was going on around him. No difference to the kids with their mobile phones now, even though we kind of jump on them a bit. But what I was about to say was that Paul himself, great apostle, he made an interesting statement about imitating him. And I think it's a text in 1 Corinthians 4.16. It's extremely long, so I'll read it quickly. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I don't remember that being a long text. Yeah, but hey, he said, imitate me. Aren't we meant to follow or imitate God? I think you'll find that in other places, uh, maybe also in this one, Paul actually says that as I follow the Lord, you mm-hmm. are to imitate me. Yeah, thank as you. As I try and imitate him, you are to imitate me. Thank you. That clarifies that, Lynn. I think you... Well, of course, Paul himself imitated God. He said in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. The example of how to live is God. Yes. We then become examples to others, including our children. That is so true. And I, I look at this this statement of Paul, Paul was able to make the statement because he walked with God, did he not? You know, he, he spent time with God, you know, in prayer and, and probably the word as well. He was aware of God's presence in his life at all times. God was Paul's example. And only we, we need to take from this, but we need to follow only the example of those who follow Christ. Yes. Mm. You know, it's mm. too easy to go down another line. Mm. We, we're fast running out of time as we've obviously noticed but we often hear the words hospitality and entertainment regarding our homes but can somebody or panel please very quickly what's the difference between the two words is there a difference between hospitality and entertaining yes I think there is Helen uh, especially in today's world where as was mentioned before there's so much glitzy stuff going around the place and what have you and entertainment is perhaps when people come along and you've, you've put on a, a barbecue and you've got drinks around about and you've got maybe sport on the television or something around those those scenes where hospitality is where people come over and you're friendly to them without all the, the glitzy stuff and you have time to listen to them and time to talk with them and time to try and understand where they're at. That's a very good point, Ken. Thank you for sharing that. I came across a statement, sorry, Lynn, I came across a statement, and it read, Entertainment focuses on the host. The home must be spotless, the food must be well-prepared and abundant, the host must appear relaxed and good-natured. Hospitality, by contrast, focuses on the guest's needs, like you were just mentioning, a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or just acceptance. Hospitality can happen in a messy home and it can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. It can even happen when you do chores together. And I thought, well, there is a difference there, isn't it? And we do have some examples in the bar we're going to look at very quickly, but Len, you wanted to say Just a very quick statement. Entertainment is putting on a show. Hospitality is being yourself. Well, there you go. I love that. Why didn't we say that just before I said all that? (laughs) Can I suggest that with entertainment, uh, you can entertain people and learn absolutely precisely nothing about them. Mm-hmm. Because they come to your home, you give them a hot drink. In Ken's case, if you go to his place in winter, mm. you can switch on the idiot box, as I call it, and you can tune out. Mm. You can just sit there and watch a football match, mm. cricket, motor racing, whatever, and say three hours later, well, it's been great to see you. Yeah. We're going home now. You've learned nothing about the person at all. I believe yeah. hospitality is, is not only looking after their needs, 
it's I think it's deeper than that. I think in being hospitable, you want to learn something about the person you're being hospitable to. Let me just comment. Thank you for that. But let me comment. We're not saying don't entertain. We're not no, saying that because no. sometimes I'm we need it, to chill it, it out together. Be, yeah. But let's remember that the hospitality side. That's exactly right. Thank you. We've got um, examples in the Bible demonstrating the attributes of hospitality. And we've got an example of Abraham and Sarah who welcomed some people into their home. Can you quickly give us something on that, Ken? Have you looked into that at all? It's in Genesis 18, 1 to 8. Oh, yes. Just don't read the whole lot. Just no, give me no, a summary if you don't it. mind. Yeah. Uh, it's basically about a couple of strangers coming to his home. He didn't know them, but he welcomed them in, looked after them and protected them. Yes, he looked after them, he protected them, um, he gave them water to wash their feet, and Sarah prepared food. Yeah, that's yes. right. We've got another example, Brenton, and um, I believe it was about Rebecca. Yes, Abraham had tasked his uh, servant, Eliezer, to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And Eliezer had actually asked the Lord for a sign. And interestingly enough, uh, the sign that he had asked for is that if someone comes along and offers to water my camels, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll take it that this person and blow me down. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't use that phrase, but <laughs> here we find a young lady by the name of Rebecca. In the Bible, there are only a few women who are described as being extremely lovely, and she, she is described mm. in those terms. She was not only beautiful to look at, but she was also very hospitable. She watered his camels. And the rest of the story actually says that she met her brother Laban and he said, well, where is the guy? Bring him home, you know. <laughs> mm. let's, let's sit down together. That's hospitality. <laughs> That's what hospitality. impressed me about Rebecca <clears throat> is that, yes, she gave water freely to the stranger, but in we, we kind of brush over this. Yeah, well, she went the second mile to water his camels. But let's remember that a thirsty camel, one thirsty camel can drink up to 25 gallons of water after a week's travel. She's going to be bailing quite a bit. And it wasn't just one camel. And yeah. and even Laban, he fed and right. water and and fed the camels as yes, well. I, I think that's important. He they they both went the second mile. Len, tell us about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was Did a short man. He was a sinner, <laughs> a tax collector. He wanted to see Jesus, who was surrounded by people as he was walking along the road. Zacchaeus climbed a tree saw Jesus but Jesus stopped under that tree and said Zacchaeus come down I want to go to your house today and it says in Luke chapter 19 Luke 19 verse um, 6 so Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him that's Jesus gladly um, that I think is an important thing gladly. Yes. Sometimes you can have visitors and you wish that they wouldn't stay. Don't visit Len. Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly. He provided a meal and, um, and they sat and talked and reached a point where Zacchaeus was convicted that he needed to change his life. Yeah. And he made some promises there, which we can't talk about now because we've only got five minutes left. Yeah. Can I'd I like suggest, to... though, very quickly that uh, Jesus actually invited himself to Zacchaeus' yes, place? Yes, I was about Zacchaeus to say didn't that. invite Jesus. That's Jesus right. invited himself. And the interesting and thing is, allowed him yes, to come. it was a response from Zacchaeus because he responded <clears throat> to Jesus' love. 
and people will respond to our love. You know, in every society, certain groups of people are considered untouchable because of their political views, their immoral behaviour or their lifestyle. We should not give in to social pressure to avoid those people. Jesus loves them and so should we. Amen. And they need to hear the good news as well. Len, you have something All right. you want to well, say? This is yeah. in line with something that was said earlier. Far more powerful than any sermon that can be preached is the influence of a true home upon human hearts and lives. Yes. Wow, that's a very, very good point, isn't it? I'd just like to add something to powerful. that today. Yes. Look, today we've, we've looked at many examples of uh, Christians uh, doing good to others, but I would like to also add that we as Christians are not perfect. We do our best, but sometimes we fail. And uh, sometimes I think non-Christians look at us and say, oh, well, you're not very good at this, that, and the other thing. But we're all on a road and we're all working to achieve what Jesus would have us do. Absolutely. I think we need to, to wind it up. I would love to have had time to go through with each person that's listening how we create a family that mirrors the peace and love of God because the Bible gives us many, many texts. I'm sorry we haven't got a chance this morning, but let me finish up by saying, number one, we need to seek the Holy Spirit's presence in our homes. God has a power to change lives. We need to practice humility because pride is another key enemy of a peaceful home. When there's brokenness, know that God is still at work. Jesus told his fellow his followers to learn from his example of gentleness and humility and Paul urged believers to follow his example of enthusiasm perseverance and maturity Paul used his unworthiness to receive Christ as an example of grace so that no one would hold back from coming to Christ. Peter taught Christian leaders to lead by example, not by commands. And believers must show Christ to the world by being examples. You may be the only sermon that a person will ever ever know and that you will ever preach non-believers should be able to see christ in us and be so drawn to what they see that they seek christ and his salvation i ask you what kind of example are you and me and what have people seen in your house and my house brenton would you like to finish with prayer please Father in heaven, we've been challenged this morning in the study of your word as we've looked at Hezekiah, we've looked at Zacchaeus, we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at other examples of scripture of how these men and women followed you, but how also it was very easy to go off track. Hezekiah was probably one of the best kings Judah ever had and yet he eventually got off track because he, he did not give glory to God for his miraculous healing. Lord, in our own homes, what people see, what people hear when they come to visit us is, do they see Jesus? Do they hear of our love for him? Does it radiate from us? Does it shine out from us that we love the Lord? We're not just saying it in so many words. We actually believe it, we actually practice it, and we actually live it. I pray, Lord, that our listeners, together with ourselves, will experience that of knowing Jesus. And because of the love that we have for Jesus, we will attract and draw others like moths to a flame. That we will draw other people 
that they will want to know Jesus too because they will see that we are so different from those around about us that the, the sweet perfume of Jesus living his life out in us will attract them as well. This is my prayer for ourselves as a panel and also for our listeners. Amen. Amen. Thank you.